house of the Lord together. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we are continuing in our series. This is week two in our series on the epistles of John. And we're in 1 John. We're going to finish 1 John 1 and creep into 1 John 2. But let me just say, like, the book of 1 John, the book of John, John is just my favorite biblical author. Now, all the Bible is good. It's all God-breathed. But there's just, I connect to John really deeply. In fact, the, the passage that we're going to be reading this morning has been a passage that has transformed my life from when I was in college and continues to do the same thing. In fact, the first book I wrote called Pinocchio versus the Real, versus the Real Boy came out of this passage. It was one of those things that just transformed me so deeply that I had to just write about it. And I was never a writer or a reader before this time, and the Holy Spirit just did a really cool thing in my life. So I'm really passionate about this passage, uh, and so if I get a little extra, you know, fresh with you guys today, that's just, that's just the way it is for me. It's just a powerful passage of Scripture. Let's pray, and then we will jump into the Word of the Lord together. God, we, we thank you that we can gather again. We thank you that we can be here together and that, that you love us. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh. That as we open up the Word of God today, that it won't just be for education, where we put something in our mind and we say, oh, that's really nice to know. But I pray that it will bring transformation in our lives, that we will put these things into practice. For that is why we come to the Word. It's not just to learn something. It is to practice what we are being told. And so, God, I pray that you will give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to be ready to change. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. As a dad, uh, I, I thought for a moment in my life that Lego was the worst thing to step on. Right In the dark, when you walk around in a dark house and you go into your child's room, you never know what you're going to kick or step on sometimes. And Lego, when MJ was growing up, that's what hurt the most. Until my youngest son, Liam, discovered Beyblades. Now, some of you have no idea what Beyblades are, so I have to quickly summarize what they are. They are these little tops that have three parts to them, and there's this Beyblade arena where you zip this top, and they start battling and fighting, and they, one of them will burst and explode, and the one that didn't burst and explode wins the battle, right? But what the, the, the thing that is so key for you to understand about Beyblades is that part of the connecting point is this metal sharp thing that is like this saw that tries to break the other thing, right? So as I'm walking into my son's room one evening, and we had just moved from the city into Indiana, and you've known that I, I had a city light in my house in Pittsburgh where it was always lit. The hallway was lit. The bedrooms had a street light right into their light, into their bedroom. So I could never step on things that, the way that I can step on things now in Indiana, right? So I have purchased lots of night lights because it gets dark in Indiana. Who knew? Right, And so I walk into my son's bedroom, and I step full right in the middle of my foot on a Beyblade. That hurt a lot. And I woke up my child because it hurt that much, where you just don't know what's happening, and you shriek in pain. And the child just freaks out, because that's what happens. But I, well, the point of that story, although it is funny, my point is to let you and, and me know and remember that the darkness is dangerous and will always cause damage, right? You see, that moment was, was dangerous for my foot because it was dark, 
But when we walk in darkness, it's dangerous for our souls as well. The darkness is dangerous and will always cause damage. I always hurt myself when I walk in a dark bedroom. Maybe it's just me, right? Maybe I'm just a weird guy. But that's what happens. But when it comes to our life as we live, we're called to walk in the light and not walk in the darkness. But I think often we can forget about the reality of what it means to walk in the light. We can tend to find ourselves creeping back into darkness and not walking in the light. And so John, as he is having a conversation with the churches that he's writing these letters to, he encourages them to walk in the light. But he doesn't just say, hey, walk in the light and not explain what it means. I believe the question that we're going to answer today is how do we walk in the light? And I believe that John answers that very question as he proposes it to them by telling them to walk in the light. Because the darkness is dangerous and will always cause damage. His goal is to have a healthy, loving church who's walking in the light. So we'll look at John 1-4. We'll go back to his gospel really quickly. And then we will move into the epistle as we look at 1 John 1-5 through 2-1. So 1 John 1-4, the word of the Lord says this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John was writing to a church, if you remember our conversation last week, John was writing to a church that was beginning to be deceived and duped by some false teachers. The false teachers were attacking the deity of Christ, and we dealt with that a little bit last week. But we also said that they were talking about sin not being powerful. That sin was not a big deal. The false teachers were coming into the church and saying, you know, once, once you've come to faith, it, you, don't, you don't call it sin anymore. Just, you don't have to confess. You don't have to worry about it. You just live your life, and it's all good. Well, here John is really nailing the false teachers to the wall by saying, no, that is not walking in the light. That is not the true gospel that you and I understand. That is not what Jesus said. And so he attacks the lies of these false teachers by giving specific truths, specifically on how to walk in the light. And the first lesson that John gives us on how to walk in the light is describing for us where the light comes from. Because the Lord alone shines light on the darkness of the world. The Lord alone shines light on the darkness of the world. Said another way, the Lord is the only source of true light. And here, if we are not walking in the light as he is in the light, we are not in connection or relationship 
with God. This idea of light and darkness is an important contrast that John, not only in his gospel, but very specifically in this epistle, will continue to highlight. Because he wants us to understand that what these false teachers are teaching actually is not life at all. It is so false, it is so wrong, that we are not in communion with God when we walk in the darkness. If we pretend like we're okay, and we have nothing wrong with us, and no sin then we're not walking in the light, which means we are not walking with the Lord because God is light. A a commentator named Johnson, he gives us some help on this dichotomy. He said, light implies integrity, truthfulness, and authenticity. Darkness stands for evil, sin, and impurity. It implies deceit, falseness, and inauthenticity. Light and darkness are ultimately incompatible, and while in all human character and behavior there is some gray, in God there is nothing unworthy, undependable, or morally ambiguous. God is light. God is light. Darkness and light cannot hang out together. That's why a nightlight is very important, because it brings light to the darkness, so you can see where you're stepping. Better yet, the sun that shines into our life or shines into our houses or outside allows us to see what's going on. No one, well, it's rare. Most people don't hit deer in the day. They usually hit the deer in the, in the car with their car at night, especially because deer like headlights and they just stop. Right? But the reality is, is light gives us the ability to navigate the dangers that the enemy would try to throw at us. And God is the only source of light. So when we are trying to walk in the light, recognizing he is the source and nothing else can light the path in the darkness of our life, then we turn to him. We walk step in, in step with him. We see and hear what is he leading us and guiding us to do. Because only light can be found in God. No other source can ever light the way of the darkness of this world. And we must continuously live that way and speak that way. Because nothing else can bring about the light that we need. This also reminds me of Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching." What he's telling Timothy is, listen, in order to continue to walk in the light and recognize that Jesus is the source of all light, you must keep a check on yourself. Ask good questions. Am I walking with the Lord? Am I walking in step with him? Am I seeking the light of his word? Am I asking the spirit of God to speak to me through his word? Or am I just kind of floating in life? Because when we stop going after the source of light, It becomes easier and easier to step further and further into darkness. And this is what was happening with these false teachers. Their lives were walking further and further into the darkness to the place where they were gathering people with them into the darkness, away from the source of light. We also see John's heart in this imagery. He's trying to let them see that darkness is death, but light is life. We see that in his gospel. Remember, we just read uh, John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's hearkening back to his gospel that he had already written. And he's saying, listen, you can only find life in the light. You can only find life in God because God is light, God is love, God is life. You cannot find life or light or love anywhere else. 
John, he was a concerned pastor. He was worried about the churches that he was writing to because they were slipping more and more and more and more into darkness, which was leading to death and decay. Death and decay. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm naturally a curious person. And I remember one time when I was younger, really young, I had just gotten married, I was like 21, and, and I had, uh, had to go to the dentist, and the dentist left me in the room by myself next to the drills. I'm mean, 21, right? I want to check these things out. I didn't know that there was a pedal you had to push with your foot to get the drill to go, but I dis- discovered that. He left me in there because I had Novocaine. He's like, oh, it's going to take about 20 minutes. I was alone with drills for 20 minutes. Right? You know what I'm saying? So I figure it out, and I start looking at the drill, and I hit the little pedal. Did you know that at the end of the drill, there are lights? I was blinded. <laughs> right? I was like, why is there a light? But then it made sense, because in order for the dentist to properly cut out the decay that's there, he needs to see it. And my mouth is a dark place. Right? So he needs to have a light at the end of his drill to cut out the decay. The same here, John is trying to bring a similar idea that the decay in your life can only be taken away by the light. And God is the light. Allow his light to shine in your darkness because that is where you will find life. The second lesson that John gives us about how to walk in the light is the lesson of fellowship. True fellowship with the Lord only happens in the light. True fellowship with the Lord only happens in the light. These false teachers were saying that you can just do whatever you want to do. You don't have to be near God to to have fellowship with Him. They were telling the churches, hey, yeah, you know, you might think that what we're doing is called sin, but really, it's really not. We have a really close relationship with God. We are so good with Jesus right now. And And John is saying to them, they're lying. That's not the truth. There is no reality that that can happen. If we have purposeful sin, perpetual sin, that we are not confessing and not repenting of, but we make excuses for, and we continue to pet that part of our sin in our life, and we just say, oh, it's okay, you can stay here. We're not really walking in communion with God. We're lying. If we say, oh, we don't have sin, it's all good, me and Jesus, we're tight. No, if, no. What John is trying to tell them is that's not, that's not true. When you walk in darkness, you do not have fellowship with God because God is the light. True fellowship with the Lord only happens in the light. Remember last week we used the word fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. And if you remember the definition, because I'm sure many of you memorized it when I said it just one time. Uh, it's a joke, I understand. right? But here's the thing. Koinonia means close association involving mutual interests and sharing association, communion, fellowship, close relationship. You and I can only have close relationship with the Lord when we are walking in the light. Darkness and light cannot coexist. But we like to pretend that it can. I'm I'm just as guilty as anyone else. Where there's these things in our life that we allow them to just continue to grow and grow and grow. And we have this, oh, I'm still good with God. I'm still all right. We're good. Does God still love us? Absolutely. Do we have the opportunity to turn back to him? Absolutely. But there is a blockade in your relationship. 
imagine you're angry with your kid or with your spouse or with your parent or whatever, and you just, you just pretend like it doesn't exist, but there's an elephant in the room, and everyone knows it, and you get together, and you have this huge elephant in the room, and you pretend, oh, mom, I love you, I love you, brother, that's great, but everyone's like, they hate each other right now, because everyone can feel it. That's what happens when we have this perpetual sin in our lives, and we say it's okay, but we really have this elephant in the room with the Lord. We're not walking in the light. And here, John is trying to get the church to recognize the severity, the reality, and the darkness of sin. We cannot have fellowship with him. John is bluntly stating, if your life is in darkness, you do not have the connection with the Lord that you think you do. Darkness here is the perpetual sin that leads us away from righteous living. And here's a statement that I want you to write down. That's why I made it a point. Darkness breeds secrecy, and secrecy ruins fellowship. Darkness breeds secrecy, and secrecy ruins fellowship. If you have a lot of secrets away from someone that you claim to love, let's just say your spouse, and there are things that you do in secret that you don't let them in on, Soon, those things are going to hinder you so deeply because you're going to begin to lie, cover up, and just keep holding it in the darkness. And that's going to ruin your fellowship with your spouse. But we do it with one another, right? We hold grudges. We have these things against one another that we keep in the darkness. And we pretend like, oh, I, have, I love my church family. I love that person. Yeah, I sit next to them in church. But really, there's this elephant, this darkness that's ruining fellowship. The same happens with the Lord. Maybe we are frustrated or angry or have doubts that we're not communicating to God, but we're holding them against Him. That will breed secrecy. Because we say, well, I don't really trust God, so I'm just going to do my own thing over here. And the more you do this thing, and you do this thing, the further and further, I want to make sure I don't break anything, Mike, the further and further you get away from the source of light, the easier it is to be in the darkness. You know, sin is like mushrooms. They grow really good in the dark. And they will continue to take over, over and over and over again. And darkness breeds that secrecy. What secrets are you holding? What are the things that you need to just talk about? Because when you continue to allow those secrets to breed, it's going to ruin your fellowship. One commentator said, In the sadly likely event that persons live this way, they are lying. Not merely in the verbal sense of propagating falsehood, but in the larger sense of living outside the zone sanctioned by the God whose light ought to define the path believers follow. Believers who lie in this way are not doing the truth. Not doing the truth. That phrase of, you know, not practicing the truth is not doing truth. This word truth is aletheia or aletheia, depending on how you want to pronounce the Koine Greek. And it means uncovered truth. Or, like our world hates, absolute truth. That this is absolute truth. Aletheia, he's saying, listen, we need to walk with unconcealed lives. Unhidden lives. When we walk and practice the truth, we are walking in true fellowship because we are not holding any secrets. You see, sometimes when we sin and we have these secret sins in our lives, we're terrified that people will find out. 
Because if they find out, well, they're not going to think that highly of me. The enemy's going to use that against me. Well, guess what? If you're bare and you're honest and you get it all out and you deal with all the darkness and all the secrets before the enemy can sneak it in there, you have nothing to worry about. Because it's all out there already. You've already walked through it. You've already talked through it. The enemy can't use that secret against you because you don't have secrets. You see what I'm saying? This, this way of living is true fellowship. And it doesn't just affect our fellowship with God. We see that it affects our fellowship with our fellow brother and sister. When we have secret darkness, we're liars, hypocrites, and we're not doing the truth. And we even, in verse 10, when we're walking in this way, in the darkness, pretending like we don't have this sin, not only are we not doing the truth, in verse 10, John says that we are calling God a liar. But who's the prince of lies? It's not God. It's Satan. It's Satan. And we need to live in an open, honest way, which leads me to the third lesson John gives about how to walk in the light, and that's confession. Practicing confession puts a believer firmly back into the fellowship of the light. Here's the, the one passage that really blew me away when I was in college that continues to just hit me in, in, the, in the eyes is verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Earlier on, he talked about fellowship with God is walking in the light. But here he says the same thing is true for our relationship to one another. You see, you and I, if we have secret darkness in our lives and we're not living openly before one another, some people are unsafe, but there have to be believers in your life that you are living fully unconcealed aletheia koinonia with. Because if you're not, you have not experienced the full breadth and weight, and goodness, and power of the fellowship of the light. We have to be people who walk in the light. One of the things that Western Christianity has just gotten so wrong, and I grew up in this type of thing, like if you mess up, you've got to pretend like you're okay. You know, when you come to church, or you go to Bible study, you've got to pretend like you've got it all together. You, especially as a pastor, like you've got to walk in this, like everything is fine. I'm good. Man, Jesus, you're tight. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's false teaching. And that's what John is going after, saying, don't hide. Come into the light. Because when the light shines on your darkness, the darkness is dispelled. And when we stay in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with one another. We cannot live in secrecy. We cannot live in the darkness because who is the prince of darkness? Satan. When he's got us in the dark, when we keep creeping away from the source of light and life, we stop reading the word and start getting distracted, stop asking the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, and we're not confessing our sins. We are living in the dark, and we need to step into the light. Do you want to experience real fellowship, true, honest fellowship with others step into the light and this is what i even talked about before spouses maybe you need to be honest with your spouse maybe there are things that are in your life that are darkness that you have not confessed to your spouse and have not been very open or honest about 
You need to do it. You need to confess to the Lord. You need to confess to your spouse and find a brother or sister that you can confess to because God wants you to step into the light and to get out of the darkness. That is powerful, true fellowship. When we reject confession, we reject fellowship, not with just God, but with others as well. A.W. Tozer said this, and this is powerful stuff. He said, today, there are people in our churches who will go to hell because they won't admit they're wrong. They just do not want to lose face. They do not want to admit their condition. They're lying to their very souls. And what he's talking about is the, the practice of sin. Originally, he's having a conversation in this particular book about those who are unregenerate, those who don't know Christ, but they will come to church and they will pretend like they're fine when they're really not, and they need to deal with their issues. But John goes a little bit deeper. It's not just those who are unsaved. He's saying, listen, we've got to get right with the Lord with all of our sin in our life so that we can walk in the light, so we're not walking in death, so we're not trailing behind us a whole bus of dead bodies. God wants us to be living life to the full of what he's called us to, and the only way we can do that is by living in the light. When we live in darkness and pretend to be in the light, we're putting on a mask. And this is the one thing that really hit me hard. With this idea of walking in the light and being in fellowship, I realized that most of my Christian life up to that point was simply a mask. I was pretending to be someone I was not. I was pretending to be the good, strong Christian. I was pretending to be the, the one who's going to be a pastor. Oh, holy. <laughs> that's not true people who preach are people just like you right but we put on this mask and I did it for so long and when I read this passage and I was in community with other pastors learning to be pastors and mentors in my life professors at Nyack College who spoke this truth into my life they continued to challenge me to take off my mask and walk in the light Because we all wear masks, especially now. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We all wear masks, but we need to take them off. Because fellowship in the light is dropping our masks and being our authentic self. Many people walk through life feeling unloved. They feel unloved by God. They feel unloved by others. They feel unloved by their church. They feel unloved by their spouse. And one of the main reasons why is because the people around us, and even God himself, we're only allowing them to love the mask. We're only allowing them to love the person that we're pretending to be. And when you are pretending to be someone and you step back and say, wow, people really love that person, that's not personal because you know that that's not who you really are. That's a fake facade that you want people to see so that they can love you. But guess what? God loves you for who you are. God loves you personally. He knows all the mess in your life. He already knows it. You can't pretend with him that it doesn't exist, although we try. 
But when we pretend in front of God and we hide our sin and we continue to excuse it and continue to allow that darkness in our lives, we are not experiencing fellowship, we're not experiencing life, and we're not experiencing love the way God designed it to be. And the same is true for your brother and sister that are around you. That's why secrecy and darkness are so dangerous to community, to marriages, to life. Where do most marriages end in divorce and start? They start in a secret dark place where that husband or that wife are not bringing the light into their marriage. They're hiding lots. And when it it becomes easy to hide something, it becomes easier to hide everything else. We've got to be people who step into the light, confess our sins. This is the beauty, the beauty of passage of of, of verse 9, where he says in verse 9 this very thing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is calling the church to step into the light. And he's not saying that when you confess your sin, God is going to say, Ah, I knew it, you weirdo. I'm I'm done with you. I hate you. No, he says when we walk in the light, we will experience God's grace. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and and just, and will purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, I love that Greek word all, because it means all. (laughs) Not just some of our sins, not just a little bit, but when we come and confess, He washes us clean from all our unrighteousness. From all our unrighteousness. One commentator defines confession this way of explaining the Greek word. The word confess, homologeo, means literally to say the same thing, thus to agree or to admit. When we confess our sins, we agree with God and the community that they are sins. You see, these false teachers were trying to tell these folks in church, you don't really have sin. You're okay. That's not bad. You don't have to confess it anymore. You confessed it, that's it. Once, once, once for all confession. But then we continue to creep back in the darkness and walk away from the light. And John was saying that is not true. We must confess our sins. We must confess to walk in the light. And confession agrees with God that we are dirty and need his cleansing. And then he cleanses us from all our dirt. The gospel is Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But there is this sense of recognizing our own dirtiness that needs us to be cleansed from. Because if we don't need that, know that we need a Savior, if we don't know and recognize that we have sin that needs to be cleansed, we're not going to get the point of the gospel. We need to recognize that in and of ourselves, we cannot do this life. We cannot walk in the light by ourselves because we will continue to stumble around in blindness and the darkness. Confession is agreeing with God that, yes, what I have been doing is sin. I confess it. And then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The beauty of that word all means that no matter what you've done, he will forgive you. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. No matter where you've been, no matter the severity of the sin or the minority of the sin in your life, it doesn't matter. You, when you confess, can experience the beauty of his cleansing from all of your unrighteousness. Some people might want to give you this list of saying, well, if you do this, this, and this, God can never forgive you. Or the enemy will tell you that. If you walked in this type of lifestyle, if you did this and that, God can never forgive you. 
Well, if he couldn't forgive that person, he couldn't forgive me. Right? Sin to God is sin and needs to be confessed. We need to come clean and admit our sin. The fourth lesson that John gives us about how to walk in the light is repentance. Repentance repentance returns us back to our advocate. Now, when we confess our sin, we must also turn away from our sin, right? Because if it's a perpetual sin, if we're walking in darkness, we can say, oh, I did that thing again. Oh, I'm sorry. But are we going to turn our face away from it and back to Him? Repentance is 180, where we turn our back to that which has destroyed our light. We turn our back to that thing and say, no more. Holy Spirit, fill me with the ability to walk away from that. But it's hard sometimes when we have these perpetual sins because we believe that somehow they bring us comfort. I don't know if you've ever read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, but there's this scene where this man is there and he has this lizard wrapped around his neck and the angel comes and says, hey, let me kill that lizard and you'll be free. You'll be able to go and walk free the way you were created to walk free. And the man's like, oh, I don't know, I really like this lizard. I mean, he looks nice on me and he's a little heavy. It gets, he's choking me a little bit. Could you just make him a little smaller? And the angel's like, no, if he doesn't die, it doesn't do anything. Sometimes we try to do that, right? It's just a little bit smaller sin. No, we need to come in the light and allow it all to be killed. Where the angel of light comes and kills it, and that is repentance. John knows the church will struggle with sin. Listen to what it says. It says, in my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... He's reminding them, listen, we are all fallen in our humanity and we will not be perfect until heaven because we will reject the Holy Spirit sometimes in our lives. We will do what we want to do in our lives. He's like, but when that happens, turn to your advocate. Return back to Christ who will stand up and say, yes, I bought that one. That one is forgiven. Look, the nail-pierced hands, they're for that person. He stands in the gap for you and for me. His death makes it possible for you and I to be cleansed from all of our unrighteousness. Nothing you can do can bring that about. And listen to the words that John speaks. He says, my little children. He doesn't say, you little idiots. No, he says, I love you so much. I can see him with tears in his eyes writing this. Children. Don't reject repentance. Please, come into the light. Confess, repent, turn back. He is your advocate. And we see this in the scripture defining the Holy Spirit, the parakletos. And Johnson explains it well. He says, he is our parakletos, translated in the NIV as one who speaks in our defense. Jesus intercedes for sinners and speaks on their behalf. The same function is attributed to him in Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25. Repentance returns us back to the only one who can bring light to our darkness. No matter what you're doing in your life, nothing can bring life and light the way God can. Nothing brings love, life, and brings you out of the darkness like the Lord. 
You cannot find the light and life and love in any other place. And so let me challenge you and myself, because this is consistently convicting to me. That we need to walk in the light. We recognize where the source of the light is. That's God alone. And we walk in fellowship with Him by walking in step, reading the Word, rejecting all distractions. We confess our sins, and we repent and turn back to Him. And when we walk that way, the world does take notice to these things. Our relationships with our spouse, our friends, our church, our Lord, will be totally different and more powerful than you could ever imagine. Get rid of the darkness and the secrecy in your life and experience true aletheia koinonia. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this love. It's so undeserved. Yet you offer it. Christ, you stand in the gap for us. It is through your blood and your sacrifice that brings about the ability that we can have repentance and turn back to you. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. Highlight the areas with your light and your life that we need to get right. Bring to mind the the sins that we must confess. Bring to mind the areas where we need to repent and turn back to you. I pray that we won't listen to the lies of the enemy, but that we'll walk in the truth. In your holy and precious name, amen.